Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. We are at night usually here on the station uh, fascinated by the darker side of humanity and we've spoken to many people in the past who kind of delve into the darker side of humanity or they're part of the darker side of humanity. As a result, we often get guests who are experts in that field. And tonight, I'm delighted to be chatting to a senior lecturer in the School of Psychology at Queen's University, Belfast, who currently is researching and his interests include uh, the study of uh, psycho- uh, psychopathy, uh, narcissism, sadism. And Dr. Costas uh, Papagiorgio uh, is a PhD in psychology, specialising in development, neuroscience, genetics uh, from Burbeck, and also an, M- an MSc degree in cognitive and clinical neuroscience from Goldsmiths. Certainly a very clever man. And uh, makes me seem unsmart, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> Dr. Costas is giving a talk, by the way, on the 29th of January at the Well in Dublin on the psychology of psychopaths. And he joins me now for a little chat about the darker side of humanity. Dr. Costas, hi, how are you? I'm fine, I'll thank you very much for the introduction and the invitation to your show. I, I'm always, by the way terrified sometimes when I'm pronouncing people's second names uh, and I, I hope I got the pronunciation of your name right because I always feel it would be an insult not to get the pronunciation of your oh, name right. don't worry about it it's perfect okay Casas. Uh, I mean when did you start or when did you get an interest in the, that kind of darker side of humanity you know particularly I suppose one that everybody would be aware of would be narcissism because I suppose that's how you start to you know become that kind of selfish greedy horrible type of person, self-centered person. So when did you start to get that interest in that darker side of humanity? Yeah, it was around 2015, 2016. Uh, uh, I was uh, finishing with my PhD at the time, and uh, I thought uh, I need to find uh, the topic that I want to focus on uh, for uh, the rest of my career or my immediate career. And I thought I can have a contribution, I can make a contribution uh, in this uh, area simply because um, I started very early on to uh, perceive these traits not as purely dark, not as purely evil, uh, but as traits that can have adaptive and maladaptive properties depending on the context. Mm. So, I mean, we we do all have an element of narcissism within us, you know, because I suppose there's that whole every man for himself sort of cliche or, you know, that idea that, you know, we always look after number one, self-preservation, et cetera, et cetera. So there is an element of narcissism within us all, isn't there? Uh, absolutely. And uh, this is what we study. We study subclinical personality traits, uh, meaning that we study personality traits that uh, exist in every single person. So some people would score low, some people would score high on a particular trait. Most people would score averagely. But uh, uh, there is no person without narcissism or without you know, psychopathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a continuum. I mean, when we hear words like psychopath and narcissism and sadism and all those things, the first thing that usually comes into our head is serial killers or, or people mm-hmm. of, that, of that ilk. Is, is that something yeah. that you've had to study as part of your research, I suppose, the background of people who would be evil people? Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, as I mentioned previously, I focus primarily on the positive aspect of these traits, narcissism in particular, and, you know, its relation to psychopathy. Um, but uh, I do talk about, you know, this this almost stereotype, this idea uh, of uh, thinking about dark traits in relation to antisocial behavior only. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, in reality, you know, something doesn't add up. If you think about psychopathy, for example, um, we are talking about a possible prevalence of 1% in the general population. 
This means in the UK, for example, that uh, about half a million individuals would meet the diagnostic criteria for antisocial personality disorder, uh, which we uh, call psychopathy. And the number of inmates in the UK is close to 100,000. So clearly, uh, at least in the UK, but in most societies, most prisoners are not psychopaths and most psychopaths are not prisoners. prisoners. Yeah, so the rest Um, of them are walking free. In other words, they're they're uh, in our society. It's exactly that. It's almost like an exercise for us. Like, where is a psychopath Waldo? Uh, Find Mm. uh, find the psychopath in a society. But... uh, Without, they're usually the CEO of a company or something like that, probably, because you find, maybe through your research, you've probably discovered this yourself, but you find that people who are very successful in business tend to be quite, you know, well, some of them are psychopaths, but certainly some of them are quite narcissistic, or maybe they have to be, to be ruthless. Uh, yeah, indeed. So there was this uh, survey, the Great British Psychopath Survey, that was conducted about a decade ago, and uh, uh, they rank the uh, professions uh, that you would expect to find, you know, individuals scoring really high on psychopathy or really low on psychopathy. And uh, they found CEOs, lawyers, media, apparently. Uh, <laughs> media, that's uh, it. Sales- I'm in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, salespersons, surgeons, but not doctors, police officers, surprisingly for some clergy person as well, scoring all very high on psychopathy. Um, so uh, clearly uh, there is a drive uh, of or a predisposition of certain personality uh, tra- traits to accumulate in certain professions, um, and uh, I guess that's that's something that we and, need to study more and understand why these things. Which I I, I assume all of this starts off at a level of narcissism. Do, is it nature or nurture, I, I, or is it a bit of both? So I would say it's a bit of both. Uh, as per usual, it's the interaction between genes and environment. Uh, mm. If we talk about uh, narcissism. Uh, for example, uh, I mean, if you look at what happened in Western societies, at least in the past half a century, uh, I think we have immortalized this idea of the self-made man, the self-made woman. So there is this uh, uh, almost uh, um, uh, like societal pressure to be narcissistic. You go to a, to a job for an interview and they will ask you explicitly, why are you the best person you know, for that job? They will ask you to imagine who else has applied, for example, mm-hmm. convince yourself that you are the best person for it in narcissism and then lie about it <laughs> to get the job. So uh, there is this uh, um, uh, kind of you know, pressure to, to be narcissistic. And then if you are good at it, uh, somehow you have a toxic personality, which yep. doesn't make you know, much sense. So there's sense. a fine balance, really, isn't there, in between somewhere where you have to have a little bit of it, but not just not too much. I mean, we, exactly. we find narcissism, yeah. particularly in relationships, where you've got one person, you know, and we've all, you know, know all the signs of gaslighting and all that kind of stuff. You know, one person love bombing, of course, is another thing that people talk about. And, and with narcissism, it's people who basically prey on other people and live off other people or prey on them. I mean, it is quite dangerous in itself. Now, I know it's not uh, the same as being a psychopath. Maybe that's the next yeah. level. But narcissism in itself can, ha- can destroy people. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, uh, that's a, a quite common question uh, that I receive, uh, uh, especially when I talk about potentially adaptive aspects of narcissism. Uh, they ask me, and rightly so, okay, it might be adaptive for the individual. Is it adaptive for the people that uh, interact with that individual? Uh, uh, typically not. It's not a nice thing to be a narcissist. Interacting with narcissists is not particularly pleasant. But narcissism is not uh, uh, one trait. Uh, there are many different elements in narcissism. So there is vulnerable narcissism that typically uh, 
predicts uh, antisocial behavior, it predicts manipulation in close relationships, for example, as you mentioned. And then there is grandiose narcissism. And grandiose narcissism is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's that person that would always brag about himself or herself. Um, on a good day, you might find him even charming or funny without necessarily, you know, doing something bad to you or anyone else. Mm-hmm. So it, it depends really on what aspect of narcissism we, we are focusing on. It's not, all, it's not all good. It's not all bad, obviously, either. And I suppose it's it's also, you can confuse sometimes narcissism with somebody who's just very confident. And there's nothing wrong with having confidence in yourself because everybody should have confidence in themselves. And you can also confuse narcissism with somebody who just might be a little bit selfish. Uh, yes, uh, it, it's exactly that. So narcissism is something different than self-esteem. So narcissism and self-esteem do not correlate. Narcissism is something on top of self-esteem. It's having an unrealistic view uh, about yourself. And having that unrealistic view most often would lead uh, to problems. But sometimes in very difficult situations, what we find uh, is that uh, not wasting cognitive resources, self-doubting might actually be beneficial. So um, in experiments, for example, that we did, we bring participants into the lab and we ask them to participate in a cognitive uh, task. Uh, we assess intelligence, for example, or mathematical ability while we stress them. So we go there while they complete the test and we say to them, you're not good at it, you're not performing well, your peers performed better. And what we found was that grandiose narcissists, they typically perform better, not because they are cleverer, but because they completely ignore our feedback. They just don't care because they have this unrealistic view that they are better than uh, others. But I mean, that can have obviously um, very negative consequences in other settings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so what is the difference then between obviously narcissism and the more extreme form, which is, uh, you know, being a psychopath? I mean, what, what, where, where do you step from one to the other? Because we know one leads to the other. So where do you step from one to the other? Or what is the difference? Obviously being a psychopath being more dangerous, obviously. But, but what is the, the main difference? I think that uh, uh, it's uh, similar to um, any other uh, difference between a trait and a disorder. Uh, a disorder is when somebody cannot really control his or her behavior. So when we talk about psychopaths, um, uh, the, the best way to, to uh, describe a psychopath is someone that knows his mind or her mind knows what to do, but he or she doesn't do it. Uh, with traits, so with narcissistic personality traits, for example, or psychopathic personality traits, People have some control over their behaviors, over their behaviors, so they can, uh, you know, use the traits in certain situations or leave it in others. But with a disorder, when it becomes a disorder, it's very hard to, far, hard to control it. Oh, okay. And and when I when we talk about age groups here, I mean, can you be a nine-year-old psychopath? Uh, so in uh, in children, we don't uh, uh, typically talk. It's uh, uh, quite inaccurate scientifically uh, to talk about uh, psychopathy. So we talk about callous and unemotional traits. Um, these uh, involve a lack of empathy, remorse, guilt, shallow emotions, aggression, cruelty, uh, seeming indifference to punishment. That is why it's so hard to deal with these children because uh, they don't respond to reward and they don't respond to punishment. That's the key. Yeah. Um, and when they seem caring or empathetic, typically uh, they want to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, whether a child with callous and unemotional traits will develop psychopathy or not, it really depends on the environment. And what we see is that what is common among all psychopaths is 
uh, early trauma. So early trauma is the hallmark of psychopathy, really. So it is related to childhood trauma, a lot of it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, it's almost like, I mean, we're having this discussion uh, uh, quite often. Uh, if you find one violent psychopath uh, that doesn't have early trauma, uh, be that, you know, um, abuse or um, uh, being raised, uh, you know, away from his parents or, you know, poverty, extreme poverty and so on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, I would be very surprised uh, to see somebody. Okay, so it's not just uh, a correlation, there's a direct link. It's, it's a direct oh, link. Oh, there is a direct link, absolutely, yes. So it's, it's very, very common. Yeah. Uh, and we know this from famous psychopaths. Uh, if you look at you know, the examples of Charles Manson, for example, you yeah. know, the, the, the archetype of psychopath, uh, he wasn't given a name by his mother. He literally listed him as no name. He traded him for a, a beer. Uh, he was se- sexually abused at school, beaten by other children, staff members. His uncle made him wear a dress to school as a punishment. I mean, how is it possible not to become a psychopath, you know, after all that? How yeah, is it you possible c- to form... You couldn't have uh, a normal life after that. You just couldn't. No. 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 And, no. and when, when we talk about, you know, being a psychopath, is it men, women? Is it equal? Is it more prevalent, you know, is it more prevalent in males or females? I would, I, I, would I be wrong there? That, that's, part, that's a very interesting question. So it's uh, particularly males. Okay. Uh, so every time we talk about psychopathy, uh, we talk about males, but uh, uh, that uh, uh, has some limitations. Uh, it has limitations in terms of how we assess psychopathy, for example, and it really depends on where you are assessing psychopathy. So in uh, research that we did, uh, uh, we found that uh, women uh, can be more adaptive uh, in that respect, uh, in adverse socioeconomic conditions. So they become darker in terms of their personality when uh, adversity is there. So uh, when we did cross-cultural research in China, in Greece, and in the UK, we found that in China, that scored the lowest out of the three countries in the Human Development Index, um, males and females were more identical than different in the dark traits, okay. which is very interesting, I think. Okay, and in relation to, you know, how they kind of get their supply, because I know narcissists need a kind of narcissistic supply, you know, they obviously have to feed off other people, but can can you tell us about this and and how does that make them vulnerable? In other words, if they have nobody to feed off, does it make them vulnerable? Uh, Well, if they don't get any uh, reward, you mean, from their behaviour? Yes, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, typically what we see then is that... um, uh, uh, that aggression. So if mm. they don't get what they want, it's very typical for people that suffer from narcissistic personality disorder or uh, uh, psychopathy uh, to get really, really aggressive when they don't uh, um, uh, get what they want. And this is why they have developed that superficial charm. They're very good at turning that charm on and off, depending on whether they think they can get something, they can get what they want or not. And when they don't, then you know you, you can see the real face, really. Um, have you ever studied, you know, famous people around the world? Uh, I suppose the likes of Steve Jobs was famously uh, probably narcissistic. Um, we see Donald Trump, uh, quite a powerful man, quite a clever man, quite a smart man. But mm. you, but to watch somebody say, even in the last year, have so many things come at him, you know, from courtroom dramas and all sorts of things, but yet still to be able to brush it off and continue working, you know, 18 hours a day. Um, Elon Musk, for example, the richest man in the world, seems to be a workaholic. I mean, what goes on in the minds of people like that? Do they have to be narcissistic in some way to to be able to work like that and to be able to go through life like that? Yeah, so, I mean, 
especially grandiose narcissists, they, what they really crave uh, is success and status. Uh, and uh, uh, to, uh, to crave that um, almost, uh, you, know, uh, you know, more than anything else uh, means that you will do, you know, anything to, to get it. And I think this is where often you have examples of, uh, you know, manipulation. You have examples of uh, interpersonal uh, abuse or problems in relationships simply because, you know, if you value most of all, uh, uh, your uh, status, your success, you know, your uh, reputation, um, other people will get hurt uh, in the process. Uh, but indeed, there is an element uh, of, uh, of narcissism in successful people. Not necessarily, I'm not saying that obviously, you know, all successful people are narcissistic, but, you know, narcissism can give you that drive, initially at least, uh, uh, to chase, you know, to chase your, your mm. dreams. And and in relation to, you also mentioned too in the script I have here, sadism. Um, and obviously for, for people who don't understand that's obviously the desire to hurt other people. Um, is that quite quite a common trait among psychopaths, the desire to actually, you know, injure other people and hurt other people and, I don't know, kill other people, if that be the case. Is is that quite a, a common thread or a common problem with that, with psychopaths? Yeah, so I think what is common with psychopaths is that they don't have emotional empathy. And uh, they have cognitive empathy. They understand why they should feel empathy about someone else, but they just don't feel it. And when you don't feel it, it's very difficult when you want to hurt somebody uh, uh, not to hurt him. And hurting somebody for psychopaths can be some sort of a um, you know, source of fun or pleasure simply because mm. uh, they do crave, um, uh, they crave excitement and I guess, you know, interacting with somebody in that way uh, for a psychopath, it can be exciting because it's not something that you do in everyday life. Um, it's all about control as well. When you hurt somebody, it means that you have, you know, power over them and that's something that psychopaths uh, or, you know, pathological narcissists, they do crave as well. So, and this is why you see that link between psychopaths mm. and sadism. Not necessarily, not always, but you, you know, they have a predisposition. So they're, are they, so they're not always violent, is what you're saying? They're not always violent, no. Uh, I mean, they have the predisposition to be violent, but then um, there is a predisposition to being violent if you have a very strong right arm. There are studies about that. Mm. Um, nobody is saying that we shouldn't train, you know, our arm, we shouldn't, you know, become... Uh, uh, healthier, more physically mm. active, because that might lead uh, to aggression. So uh, psychopathy is like that, uh, in, uh, or psychopathic traits, not psychopath per se, uh, is like that. Yes, they have a predisposition to violence, um, but uh, it doesn't mean that they will exhibit uh, violence. Yeah, because I, I watched the video on Twitter there the other night of uh, this homeless man. I did a bit of research afterwards after watching the video because it was quite disturbing. And it was a homeless man who was murdered in America. And mm. uh, it, the guy was eventually charged because I, I found the story online eventually uh, of the thing. But the, the, the CCTV was there. And this guy, just for whatever reason, picked on this homeless guy. And he yeah. punched him, kicked him. The guy was out cold, unconscious on the ground. And yet he continued to keep standing on his head, kicking him. And I'm going, I, I start thinking to myself, what drives somebody to do that? Not the initial attack, because the initial attack could be led, done by drugs or whatever. I don't know. But to be able yeah. to continue knowing that the person is probably dead at this stage and you're continuing to kick, to stand on their head, and all, I'm, I'm thinking, 
how can one human, and I know human beings, by the way, and I'm sure you've studied this too, I believe the figure is we're nine times more likely to kill each other than any, any other animal in the animal kingdom, which is bizarre. Yeah. Um, what drives, do they have to have a screw loose to do something like that, to be able to do something like that and not feel any remorse for it? I mean, it's so difficult to tell. I mean, the the wrong thing here would be to assume necessarily that that person, the murderer, is necessarily a psychopath because he uh, uh, did something like that. Um, it's very difficult to, to understand uh, the motives of such a violent crime unless you really study that particular case mm-hmm. uh, in depth. And, you know, what... Well, it seems he was a complete is, stranger, this guy. He was a homeless guy. He was a complete stranger, this guy. He didn't know him at all. Uh, now, the guy yeah. got life in jail. That for doing it, but but it, it it wasn't so much the you know him murdering somebody that had me confused and had me thinking about it. It was the way in which he did it. There was no weapons involved, but it was just yeah. with his fists and with his feet. And to be able to continue to do that, no matter how angry I would be with somebody, I don't yeah. think I would have the ability to hurt somebody that much. You know, I've I, I haven't been in a fight since I was thirteen years of age, and that was with a friend of mine mm. in the lane at the back of the school, and it was a stupid mm. little fight, and I lost. So I I haven't been in, I haven't hit anybody in thirteen years, or since I was thirteen yeah. years of age. So I, I I just don't have the ability to do that. So I I would feel sorry for the person I'm hitting. So, but yet there are people out there. We see them violent people all the time in society. And they hit people and they punch people and the person is unconscious and they continue to punch them knowing that they're probably killing them. And they can do that. And I find that so yeah. difficult to understand. Yeah, I mean, because if you look at uh, um, uh, scans of, uh, you know, the, of the brains of psychopaths, for example, um, uh, the part of the brain that is supposed to do something in these situations, it just doesn't do it. Uh, it just doesn't work. So they don't have uh, the capacity for emotional empathy. They don't you know, they, they understand, but they cognitively, they just don't mm. uh, uh, feel it. So if you look at, uh, you know, the hypocampus, amygdala, you know, they have an abnormal say, they have an abnormal function, they do not uh, um, uh, work the way they should uh, mm. uh, in, when we talk about extreme cases, obviously, of personality, of psychopathic, yeah. you know, personality traits, when we talk about psychopathy. Um, so uh, to that person uh, there, uh, you know, the murderer, probably there was nothing. He was just, you know, hitting uh, the guy as if he was hitting a pillow. It wouldn't make any difference. Okay, so he doesn't feel the empathy and doesn't understand. the. Lo- there's no logic involved in that. Okay, no, I, I, I understand what you said. And, and I, I suppose we sometimes hear things like there's a relationship between finger length, because you mentioned a few minutes ago about the right arm. About yeah. is there any little tests we can all do? Can we all look at our fingers and go, well, okay, if that finger is bigger than that finger, you're a psychopath. Is there is there any little tests we can do? Is there any kind of is there anything that you've noticed biological when it comes to you know people who are narcissistic or psychopathic or? Uh, yeah, I know the studies of uh, the difference, the two D to four D uh, digit uh, ratio. I think this is what you're referring to. Um, I don't think they predict uh, reliably uh, uh, personality traits, psychopathic personality traits, or narcissistic personality traits. Um, I mean, in extreme cases, uh, brain scans can show abnormalities that would indicate psychopathy. There is genetic vulnerability, so certain. Genetic variants, uh, uh, we know that uh, they associate, they don't necessarily predict, but they associate, they predispose you uh, to psychopathy. Uh, there's no reliable test. This is why we talk mm. about suspected you know, psychopathy. Yeah. And even the term, uh, I think that's important to mention here, even the term psychopath is not an official diagnosis. 
It's an informal term that is used for a condition that is called antisocial personality disorder. So it's a kind of it's umbrella. Very, very it's difficult. an umbrella term, essentially. It's an umbrella term, exactly. It's very, very difficult to know for sure, mm. uh, or, or you know, or predictive, and who is a psychopath. Behaviorally, yes. I mean, you can observe behaviors and suspect psychopathy. So the superficial charm that I mentioned, mm. grandiose sense of self, pathological lying, uh, manipulation, lack of remorse. Uh, failure to accept responsibility for own actions, promiscuous sexual behavior, this is quite common. Uh, mm. So having many uh, uh, short-term relationships, um, poor behavioral control, lack of realistic lo- long-term goals, impulsivity, all these things uh, are red flags for a psychopath. And if people are listening at home and they have suspicions about their own partner being narcissistic, for example, which is on the lighter side, but although not light if you're living with it, um, but they have suspicions. You know, what are the, the signs to look out for? If you were advising people, I don't know whether that's your, within your remit of research, but, you know, if you were telling a woman who thinks that her husband is a narcissist and, and he, she's having a hard time living with him or whatever and she needs to get out of that relationship, what are the signs to look out for that somebody may be narcissistic in a relationship? Yeah, so... Some of the behaviors that I mentioned uh, for psychopathy, they are very common for uh, narcissistic, in narcissistic personality disorder as well. So uh, manipulation, um, uh, being very controlling uh, over the other person, uh, being very aggressive every time that they don't get what they uh, uh, want, um, having obviously that you know, grandiose sense uh, of self-worth, uh, and uh, lack of remorse, I think that's, or guilt, you know, that's quite... Mm. Uh, quite common. So um, every time you see somebody doing doing something that, you know, you're thinking, how is it possible not to feel guilt over it? Or how is it possible yeah. uh, not to accept responsibility over it? Well, it is possible for certain, you know, for certain people. Yeah. And do, do narcissists, do they pick up on social cues or are they, do they have the ability to pick up on social cues? That's another very interesting question. Yes. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, some studies suggest that they're better than the average person at picking at social cues. So uh, there is a link between emotional intelligence and narcissism. So uh, that's why I think they have, you know, this uh, propensity or they have, there is a potential risk there because they're very good at understanding uh, cognitively emotions, getting social cues, uh, using social cues to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Uh, They just don't care you know, as to, yeah. you know, how you will, you know, feel about, you know, their behavior or respond to those social cues. Uh, and I guess that's that's the, the issue there, the main issue there. Well, look, it's really intriguing listening to it because I, love, I know people have a huge obsession with the darker side of humanity. And I don't know why, by the way, uh, Costas, why they have a... Particularly, by the way, I'm going to say this, it might kind of sound across as completely sexist, but I think it's women more so that have an interest in the darker side of humanity more so than men. Because when we look yeah. at all those crime programs on TV, it's more so women that are intrigued by it. And I, I have no understanding. Why, why is that, by the way? Why are women more intrigued by it? Well, I mean, there, there, is, there, are, there are studies that uh, have shown that uh, women are more attracted uh, to males uh, that score high on the dark triad, on you know dark traits generally. So psychopathy, narcissism is that myth of the bad boy, you know, being really kind of uh, attractive. I, I guess mm. uh, early on in human evolution, um, individuals that scored high on these traits, um, they had access to resources. So mm. in those early societies, not today necessarily, obviously, yeah. uh, but in those early societies, females would choose a male with darker traits because they would think that, you know, if there was an attack in the tribe or if they wanted... He was a good protector, yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, and, uh, you know, that might happen today in societies outside the West, so in societies where adversity, for example, is uh, uh, the norm. And that's something that is um, of, mm. uh, you know, great interest to me, because every time we talk about these traits, we think about you know, our everyday life, we think about peers, colleagues, and so on and so forth. We don't think about countries that, have, that are war zones for the past 100 years and what happened there. And you know, how can you be open to experience there as opposed to a narcissist or a psychopath to survive? So in these, in these uh, um, uh, situations and from an evolutionary perspective, psychopathy, uh, while it could be a disorder, uh, it has been construed in the context of an adaptive strategy. So generation after generation, one would expect that these traits would go up uh, uh, in the population in certain environments, in certain societies. Mm. And it's it's interesting that you say that because only a while ago we were talking about a study that was out. And I can't remember who did the study, but they were talking about the differences between men and women and what we look for in a partner. And, you know, men, for example, are not interested too much in what a woman does for a living because they're not looking for a provider. But women still are interested in what a man does for a living because even though we live in a very equal society now, a much more equal society, a lot of women still look for somebody as a backup for security for to be a provider. And I often wonder, is that kind of built into our DNA in some way? You know, that men feel this responsibility to provide. Women feel that they want men to look after them. And that's still there. It, it's, it still bubbles underneath somewhere. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, for this particular behavior, I would say that probably uh, it's primarily environment that uh, uh, creates certain behaviors. And, you know, we see big differences depending yeah. on different yeah. environmental demands. But there are genetic predispositions. I mean, we lived in uh, uh, certain uh, situations, certain societies for so, uh, many, so many years, you know, for thousands of years. So some predispositions in behavior are there and there are sex differences. And that's yeah. Absolutely fine. You know, differences doesn't mean uh, inequalities necessarily. So no, you can be different and equal. So yeah. Well, look, I, I have to say a lot of people that say we're very much looking forward to. I know you're giving a talk on the 29th of January at the Well in Dublin on the psychology of psychopaths. And if people want to head along there, do they need a ticket or can they just go along on the night or how does that work out? Uh, there is, uh, yes, so they need a ticket, and uh, uh, my understanding is that there are still uh, a few left, but they are going fast. Uh, so yeah, they will need a ticket. And, and where do they get? Uh, where would they get the tickets? Where can they get them? Uh, so it's on uh, Eventbrite, and uh, I believe on the Wells website. Uh, uh, I think there is a link to the event, and they can go there and book uh, uh, tickets. But there is a ticket on the Eventbrite if you okay. look for the uh, Psychology of Psychopaths uh, uh, with my name and or the the venue's name. Uh, you will find it there. So for people who want to go along, it's the 29th of January. It's at the Well, that's uh, the weekend after next, the Well in Dublin, and it's called The Psychology of Psychopaths, and you can get tickets on Eventbrite. And I have to say, it's been a very interesting conversation, and I'm sure we'll have a chat again sometime. Uh, Dr. Costas Papagiorgio, thank you very much indeed, and I appreciate you coming on the air talking to us. Thank you very much, and uh, um, it was a, a great talk as well. I really enjoyed it. So um, have a have a good night. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.